Hello and welcome. You are listening to the teaching ministry of Coastal Oaks Church in Rockport, Texas. It is our hope that you will be encouraged and that your desire to follow Jesus Christ will be challenged and strengthened as you listen to this podcast. For more information on location, service times, and what to expect on your next visit, go to coastaloakschurch.org. Now, grab your Bible and study along with us as you listen. If you'd be seated, I invite you to open your Bibles to the book of Luke, chapter 15 this morning. Luke, chapter 15. I want us to look at a familiar parable. But I want us to look at the end of this parable because that's the part that usually gets neglected and I feel impressed to share that with you this morning and ask you the question when new people show up when God does a work in others lives are you rejoicing or are you resentful you'd say well pastor we never resent that well let's look at scripture and see the challenge from God's word today maybe you know the story of the prodigal son who went to his father and asked for his inheritance early basically saying I don't care about my family anymore and he His father willingly gave him his inheritance and this young man went off and wasted it in terrible, wicked living. And he comes to that place where he realizes that he was better off at home and he spent everything he had and he's he's basically eating with the pigs. And he realizes, "I, I need to be back home. And so we'll pick up the story in verse 20 of chapter 15. So he got up and went to his father. But while the son is still a long way off, his father saw him. And was filled with compassion. He ran, threw his arms around his neck, and kissed him. The son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and in your sight. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father told his slaves, Quick, bring out the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Then bring the fattened calf and slaughter it. And let's celebrate with a feast. Because this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. So they begin to celebrate. But look at verse 25. Now his older son was in the field, and as he came near the house, he heard dancing and music and dancing. So he summoned one of the servants and asked what these things meant. Your brother is here, he told him, and your father has slaughtered the fattened calf because he has him back safe and sound. Then he became angry and didn't want to go in. So his father came out and pleaded with him. But he replied to his father, Look, I have been slaving many years for you. I have never disobeyed your orders. Yet you never gave me a young goat so I could celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours came, who has devoured your assets with prostitutes, you slaughtered the fattened calf for him. Son, he said to him, You're always with me, and everything I have is yours. But we had to celebrate and rejoice, because this brother of yours was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. Many of us can relate to the prodigal. We can relate to being away from God, and whether you saw yourself as a prodigal who needed to come to the Father, or a prodigal who was with the Father and drifted away and needed to come home, many of us relate to that, and we have a time in our life and we can say, I I can see myself in the story there. 
But rarely do we acknowledge that it could be that we're the older brother. We're the other brother. We're the oldest son who has a problem with God, the father, the father in this story, showing grace and love and compassion toward our brother. Well, I want us to look at four truths this morning as we get ready for Easter Sunday. Instead of reflecting on the cross, which we want to do every year, really every time we meet, I wanted to reflect on our attitude today as we prepare our hearts for new people who will be coming. Will we rejoice or will we be resentful? Let's look at this first truth in the passage. By the way, I just selected four. There are many more, but let's look at these four, all right? We only have a short time. Number one, God longs for the lost to come to him. God longs, he desires, he is passionate about lost people coming to himself. Look at verse 20. The Bible says as this younger son who really wasted everything, had turned his back on the father and the family, as this younger son comes to his father, the Bible says while the son was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion. This was not a father who sat on the porch with his arms crossed. I wonder if that stupid kid's ever coming home. I wonder if he'll ever figure it out. I wonder what he's doing now. This is a father who I believe is sitting on the edge of his rocker on the front porch, looking down the road, saying to his heavenly father, heavenly father, could today be the day that my boy comes home? Because I can't wait to put my arms around him again compassionate, loving, longing to see the lost come to himself. In this story, it's clear that the father is a picture of our heavenly father. It's clear that the the son who's the prodigal is a picture of those who need to come to Christ. But it's also very clear that the older brother, the older son, is a picture of the people of God. And the lessons that we have to learn from this passage are that we need to have the same heart that the father had who longed for the son to come. He ran to him. I want us to take this, just keep that place marked there and turn with me to the book of Mark chapter 10 because I want us to read just a short account of Jesus with his disciples illustrating how they hadn't gotten it yet. It had not clicked with them that it's the heart of the Father to reach out to those who are lost. Chapter 10, verse 13 in Mark. As Jesus is teaching, the Bible says, some of the, some of the people were bringing little children to him so that he might touch them, bless them. But his disciples rebuked them. When Jesus saw it, he was indignant and said to them, let the little children come to me. Don't stop them. For the kingdom of God belongs to such as these. Now we preach this passage many times to say Jesus wants the little children to come to him. We've taken this passage and we've reminded us as a congregation over and over again how important children's ministry is. And how Jesus values those kids. And that that is true. But I just want to use this passage to contrast the, the mindset of the disciples with the mindset of Jesus. Look at verse 13. The disciples rebuked people for bringing children to Jesus. In essence, what they were doing was they were filtering who could come to Jesus. 
Some say, well, they were just protecting him because he was tired and, and he didn't need to be bothered with those, those extra interruptions. Have you noticed in Scripture, if you go through the New Testament, most of what Jesus did was, was through an interruption? As he was going, someone came to him. As he was there, that person appeared. As he was walking, there the guy was in the tree. As he was going, as he was teaching, they brought children to him. And the disciples rebuked them. The disciples said, shame on you, parents. Shame on you people for interrupting Jesus by bringing these kids here. They were filtering who could come to Jesus. We would never do that, would we? Our doors are open, everybody except, fill in the blank. I'll accept everybody except, fill in the blank. They rebuke them, stop them. And what did Jesus say? Let the children come to me. Don't stop them. The kingdom belongs to them. Jesus' attitude was, let them come. Let them come. It is the heart, it is the passion of the Father for lost people to come to know him. No matter what color they are, no matter what their economic standing is, no matter what level of sin they've immersed themselves in that you may not like, Jesus longs for them to come to know him. I pray that God would keep us from being the kind of church that says to people, go fix yourself, Get, make sure your life is cleaned up, and then we'll love on you. God continues to bring people to this place as they are, and we're commissioned. We're, we, have this, we should have the same passion that Jesus has to love on them. God longs for lost people to come to himself. Number two, when they do come, he rejoices. God rejoices when the lost turn to him. Look at verse 22, back in Luke chapter 15. He rejoices. The Bible says, the father told his slaves, bring the best robe, put it on him, put a ring on his finger, sandals on his feet, the fattened calf, slaughter it, let's celebrate with a feast, because this son of mine was dead, is now alive, he was lost, is now found. So they began to celebrate. God rejoices when lost people come to him. He used to have a friend in ministry, and his little boy would say, the angels are doing somersaults in heaven. They're so excited. That, that, that's true. I think that's taking a little bit of liberty with it, but they're excited. They're celebrating. The Bible says there's rejoicing. If you will go through Luke chapter 15, Luke chapter 15 is, the, is one truth told three different ways. That God seeks the lost. In, in the first part of chapter 15, you have the, the story of the lost sheep. And the shepherd leaves the 99 to go find the one. And the Bible says in verse 5, he joyfully puts that lost lamb on his shoulders and comes in. And he says, rejoice with me because I found my lost sheep. And then he says, I tell you, there is joy in heaven over one sinner who repents. And then the parable of the lost coin. The woman who looks for that has 10 silver coins, but she loses one. And she looks everywhere. She finally finds it in verse 9. She calls to her friends and neighbors and says, rejoice with me. Because I found that coin I had lost. Then he says again, I tell you, there is rejoicing in heaven. There is joy in the presence of God's angels when a sinner who repents. And then you have this story of the prodigal son, the loving father, the, the resentful son. And when, when the son comes home, when the prodigal comes home, there is rejoicing. There's music. There's dancing. There's feasting. God rejoices when lost people come to him. He likes it. The Bible says that Jesus said, I came to seek and to save that which was lost. That's why he came, for the lost. 
He came for the people who needed him. And I, I would like to make application here. Not just a lost person, but as we think about our congregation, and we think about us as a congregation reaching people, I believe God longs for people to come to this place. Not because there's anything magical about this place or special about this place, but because this is a place where they can hear the truth. This is a place where they can be loved on and encouraged. I I believe God longs for people to be connected with churches like this. And I believe he rejoices when people come. This morning we had a baptism in the early worship service. See what you missed? A little guy. When we baptized Justin Bolden today, you know what happened? People stood up and hooped and hollered and shouted said amen. Wasn't very reverent. Wasn't very orderly. But you know what? It was celebration. I thank God that we, that we can celebrate when someone comes to Christ. I want to challenge us as a church to continue to celebrate when new people walk in the door. That we not become threatened by that. And that leads me to number three. Resentment is the wrong response when people come to Christ. I, I would hope I wouldn't have to even write that as a note, but it's, it's true. It's the heart of the last part of this parable. Not just that God longs for lost people to come to him. Not just the loving compassion of the Father and forgiveness that's there. Not just the celebration, but, but basically don't be like the older son. Look at verse 25. He hears the music and the dancing. He asks the servant what happened, and he says, you know, your brother, remember him? Yeah, I remember him. He's a jerk. That isn't in there, but it's what he's thinking. Yeah, my brother that took his inheritance and wasted it away. Yeah, I remember him. Well, he's back. Can you imagine what this guy's probably thinking? Oh, great. Bible says in verse 28, he became angry. Didn't want to go into the party. So his father comes out and pleads with him. He says to his father, verse 29, look, I've been slaving for many years for you. I've never disobeyed your orders. Never? Good for argument, but probably not true. Yet you never gave me a young goat so I could celebrate with my friends, and that's probably true. But this son of yours came, and, you de- and he's devoured your assets, and now you slaughter the calf. Basically, you have a party for him. He's resentful. He doesn't like it. He has been out of shape that his father is reaching out to his brother because he's been faithful. Now, if you read verse 29, I've been slaving many years for you. He has been slaving for his father, probably for his dad's approval, I don't know. He's been living a life of obedience because he has to, not because he wants to. Folks, that's no way to serve. Did you know that? Did you know that there's no joy in serving because you have to? The joy comes in the want to. I don't buy nice things for my wife because I have to. I buy nice things for my wife because I want to. I occasionally make up the bed. Occasionally. I think I led the 830 service to believe that I always do it, so I'm just setting the record straight here. Okay? I'm not sure why that's important, but it's important to her. 
My deal is I'm going to get back in it tonight anyway. What's the big deal, right? That's a good place to amen, guys, right? Okay. But I, I do that for her because I love her, not because I have to. This poor guy, and you can see it's in his spirit because he's so angry, he is serving his father out of a, out of a sense of duty and obligation. By the way, have you seen that the, the older son is represented with the religious people too, the Pharisees? Boy, they could have said that to God. God, we've served you completely, totally, faithfully. We've dotted the T's and crossed the I's. But they did it out of duty. And resentment crept in. Look with me at Mark chapter 6. I want to read another account. Verse 34. You may know this story, the feeding of the 5,000. Look at verse 30. Yeah, it's 34. So as Jesus stepped ashore, he stepped ashore, he saw a huge crowd, and he had compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. Then he began to teach them many things. When it was already late, his disciples approached him and said, this place is a wilderness, and it is already late. Send them away. So they can go into the surrounding countryside and villages and buy themselves something to eat. You see the contrast there? Jesus saw the people and had compassion. The disciples saw the people and said, send them away. They're going to get into our lunch. Send them away. Let them find their own parking place somewhere else. Send them away. Let them find their own seat. Let them find a place. I'm, I'm settled here. I like it here. I love Jesus, and I love being around people that love Jesus. Let them find another place. That's what they're saying. Send them away. Can you, can you just, just try to wrap your brain around that? The, the passion and compassion of Christ for lost people, the hurting people who are coming to him, and the disciples say, send them away? We would never do that, would we? We would never say, Things are going so well. We're so comfortable. We like it the way it is. Let's don't get out of our comfort zone at all. Let them find another place. We have Easter Sunday coming up next week. People will be coming here just because. Just because. It's Easter. It's what families do at Easter. Some of them won't even know why they're here. They just know it's what mom said we're going to do Easter Sunday. People will come to this place. And I don't want us to resent the fact that new people are coming, messing with us. You know, years ago, we used to talk about the 80% rule. Well, all my ministry, it's been the 80% rule. And what they teach you is when a, when a room is 80% full, people stop coming. It's, it's, a, it's an axiom. It's a truth. It, it's a law that we've taught for years. When a building, when a room, whether it's a small classroom, a home, or a worship center gets 80% capacity, then people stop coming because it's just what happens. They just don't see, I, for whatever reason, there's not room for me, I wouldn't be missed. Do you know now it's more like a 50 to 60% rule? Because now people are so used to things being just right that you may look and say, look, there's empty seats there. But a new person doesn't see those as, as available seats, surely not on the front row. You say, well, there's empty seats in the middle of the aisle. A new person comes in, what are they gonna say? There's really no room for me because I'm not going to crawl over you people to get to that seat. 
Where do we sit? We sit in the prime seats, don't we? In the, in the place that's easy to get out, easy to get in. We park in our parking place. Did you know I have a reserved parking place? It may not have your name on it. It may not say this where you park, but you have this expectation. When I show up next Sunday, my parking place is going to be there. You may pull in some Sunday morning and somebody's parked in your place. You say, they didn't get the memo. That's where I park. I'll have to start going to the early service now just so I get my parking place. Folks, that's, that's resenting new people coming. Used to say three people per car was an average of how many people came. Now it's 1.75 people per car. Some of us bring two cars. If you have teenagers, you bring three cars. Isn't that right? I just want to encourage you, next Sunday morning anyway, carpool. (laughs) Say, let's take one car to church and let's park it as far away as we can. Now, y'all, I probably, on a regular basis, I'm the first one here every Sunday morning. We have some guys that meet to pray, and some guys beat me sometimes. I don't know how they do that, but they do. But we get here to pray, and, and I could, we, those guys and I, we could have the choice primo parking places. And then our worship team comes, and they could get the next best ones. And then our choir's here, and they could get the next best ones. And our connection class teachers, and we get all the good parking places because we're here early and we're serving. Can I challenge us? Let's not do that. Let's park as far away as we can. Sometimes I drop my wife off at the door and then I go park far away. Because I love her. Not because I have to, it's because I want to. Let's be cautious that we don't try to protect what we have. Do you know that we could keep this thing this size? Just right here, right this way? Just by saying, you know what, we're good. Or we can get out of our comfort zone. We can be stretched. Tell you what, when resentment creeps in, you begin to resent that you have to park differently, that you have to sit in a different place, that you have to stretch yourself to serve. Let's don't do that. Truth number four. God's people cannot take our privileges for granted. Who are God's people? That's us. In this passage, the God's people were pictured by the older brother. But here it's us. Look at verse 29. Look, I've been slaving for years. I've never disobeyed you. And you never uh, gave a young goat for me so I could celebrate with my friends. This older brother thought that because he'd been around, he deserved something. I've been a member of Coastal Oaks Church since fill in the blank. And I deserve this. Be careful about that. We don't deserve to be here. Did you know that? You don't deserve to be here. I don't deserve to be here. I don't deserve to pastor this church. It's by grace. And as the choir was, we were singing, my chains are gone. I just, God just, just reminded me. And emotionally, I was overwhelmed at his grace. And then we sang, he is, and God overwhelmed me with, that he's the sovereign of the universe, and he says, Kevin, I'm going to let you do this? Wow. 
Don't take our privileges for granted. Do you know with privilege comes responsibility? We talked a lot about this in weeks past to, to think about others, to think about the people that haven't come here yet, that, to think about how you can sacrifice so someone else can have a place to park and a place to sit and, as you serve. Did some research recently. I'm not sure how close these numbers are. They're about a year old, but Aransas County has about 23,000 residents, give or take. And on a good Sunday, let's take next Sunday, Easter Sunday, and be generous and say maybe 3,000 of them are in a worship service somewhere in Aransas County. That leaves around 20,000 people that aren't reached. And folks, we can't say we've got it together, we're fine, we have a holy huddle, I like it the way it is. We have to be thinking about the other 20,000 who have not yet come to know Christ, or have not yet connected with a body of believers. Billy Graham organization has a ministry they call Operation Andrew, and it's taken from scripture where Andrew brought his brother to Christ. And, and they just say, look, look around. Look around you at your neighbors and friends and family who might need a church home, who might need Christ. Look up. Pray that God would work in their hearts to change their hearts. Look out. Look out for ways that you can minister to that person and encourage them and cultivate relationships. Then they say, look forward. Look forward to a key event where you can invite that person to be exposed to the gospel. We have a key event. It's called Easter Sunday next week. And then they say, look after. Encourage them to be there and follow up on them. Let me encourage you to do that. There may be a neighbor, a friend, a family member, and they would come to church if you invited them, if you brought them. Years ago, I heard from a pastor in, where I went to seminary, and he told a story of pastoring a church in Southern California, and it was one of those churches that it kind of just plateaued. They weren't growing anymore, and he was trying to challenge the congregation to, to do some things like we've done here, to, to change the name a little bit, to, to make the worship more contemporary, to make it more informal, and all those things he was trying to get them to do, and they were not open to it. It's basically an, uh, a congregation of elderly people. So he got them all together one Sunday night and said, okay, how many of you have family members, children, grandchildren, who are not in church? And all their hands went up. He said, okay, now, I want you to do something. I want you to go and ask them why they don't come to church and come back and report. No pressure, just ask them. So they all came back. You know what they said? They said, well, our kids don't come to church because the preaching is irrelevant. Our kids aren't in church because the music is boring. Our kids aren't in church because you have to dress up. And he went through this long list of things that were exactly the changes he was trying to initiate. And you know what happened? That congregation embraced those changes because now they were changing their church in order to reach their family. Why does it take that? Why would we have to say what if? But I, I promise you that if you had a lost family member that you finally convinced to come to Coastal Oaks next week, you would want with everything for them to have a good experience, wouldn't you? You would want them not to have a hard time finding a parking place. You would want them to be easily led to drop their kids off at the nursery. You would want them to be greeted by child care workers who love them. You would want to be greeted, you're, you're, you're a relative, your family member, you'd want them to be greeted in the foyer by people who said, glad you're here. You would want them to come into this place and find an easy, comfortable seat where they wouldn't have to crawl over anybody or sit on the front row. You would want all that for your loved one because you know that they need Christ. You would want this worship team to be at their best. You'd want them to be rehearsed. You would want this choir to be anointed. You would want this preacher to preach the truth because your loved one's here and they need Christ. Well, folks, it's going to happen next week. 
It may not be your loved one, but it's somebody's loved one. And they're going to show up to this place and they're going to need you to see them as someone that Jesus loves. What sacrifices are you willing to make next week and weeks after that in order that people who need Christ could come to this place and find a place where they're loved and accepted? Let's don't be that older brother, okay? Let's have the spirit of the Father. Let's be the church who sits on the edge of our seats waiting for someone to come in so we can just love on them. Because people are going to come to this place next week who need Jesus as Savior. Let's embrace that. Let's embrace it. Let's pray together.